hello! Welcome back to Loki's Librarian. I am your librarian, Katrina. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I'm reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. It is the last Sunday of the month, meaning I was supposed to be reading about our next president in line, meaning Woodrow Wilson, and to that end I had purchased this book, Wilson's War, very reflective cover because it's got library coverings on it. Uh, it's Wilson's War, How Woodrow Wilson's Great Blunder Led to Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, and World War II by Jim Powell. I knew when I was reading the introduction that this is actually not a book about Woodrow Wilson specifically, but I had already started it. It was already on my calendar at my website, and I didn't have time to get a replacement book here and read it, so I went ahead and continued. I ordered a different book for next month to go over Wilson. just going to move everybody out of it. This book is about how Wilson's decision to enter the U.S. into World War I in Europe ultimately led to the catastrophes of the 20th and into the 21st centuries. Long-lasting implications of national policy there. Foreign policy. The accompanying cocktail for this book is Armistice. It is one and a half ounces of rye whiskey, one, uh, one half ounce of dry vermouth, one quarter ounce of maraschino liqueur, and a quarter ounce of green chartreuse. Um, I couldn't find green chartreuse. It's actually very hard to find these days because the monks who made it decided they were making, spending too much time making the chartreuse and not enough time in, you know, reflective contemplation. So they've cut back their production. Consequently, availability and price have skyrocketed. So I did like a Google search and found out that a decent substitute is Fernet Branca, which I happen to already have a small bottle of Fernet Branca. I happen to already have a small bottle of it. So I'm using that instead. Uh, two dashes of aromatic bitters. Sorry about that tangent. Let's do this. Prior to World War One, the United States had done a pretty credible job of minding its own damn business when it came to global affairs. There was the very brief Spanish-American War in 1898, but it could be argued that as we were fired on without provocation, we had every right to respond with force. Now, whether or not we were fired on is moot at this point, right? It's 120 years old. So, but at the time it was believed to be true, and so we sent troops in response and had like a brief four-month war in Cuba. And ended up with the Philippines as a as a result of that. That's a rye whiskey. So like literally every other war was to secure our own borders. So, you know, the Spanish American War, the War of eighteen twelve arguably was to secure our own borders. We we're looking at getting that northern line secured. The Mexican American War in eighteen forty six to forty eight was to defend American borders with the ultimate eye towards annexing Texas and setting our southern border with Mexico. So literally all the wars we fought were, were to define and defend our own territory. All that ended with World War I. And, I mean, both of these, I, all, all of them fell well, well within the province of the Monroe Doctrine, right? The American continents, by free and independent condition which they have assumed and maintained, are henceforth not to be considered as subjects of colonization by any European powers. And, and that has essentially been American foreign policy, policy for all of the 19th century. World War One, which started with the shot heard around the world, the second in history, the first being the one that started the American Revolution, of course started as a result of Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria, an heir to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, his wife Sophia. They were both assassinated on June 28, 1914, by Bosnian Serb Gavrio Princip. Powell does an absolutely superb job of building up the history that led to World War One, outlining how Europe as a whole, like all the European nations, right? It's not like just one or two of them, all of the nations of Europe 
had a policy of colonization that extends back for centuries, often leading to European country fighting European country, citing the more recent example of Napoleon's rampage across the continent and how the damage he did there more or less laid the groundwork for the future conflict that would engulf the planet, meaning World War I. Um, Maraschino with hearing cherry liqueur. Powell describes how Wilson wanted to cut his own teeth, militarily speaking, and so just prior to World War I, uh, when Mexico was experiencing its kind of own growth paroxysms with its Mexican Civil War, Wilson was kind of determined to stabilize our southern border in the wake of this revolution, opting to try his own hand at nation building by sending troops after Pancho Villa and instilling our own preferred leader. This did not end well for Wilson or America, for that matter, as Pancho Villa had the home turf advantage, and the people in Mexico basically loved him and helped hide him from U.S. troops because... Why do we care what Mexico is doing? You know, as long as they're staying on their side of the border, that's really all that matters. And that remains true to today. I have to eyeball the quarter ounce. Hold on a second. A little heavy on the chair at the core, but whatever. None of these actions won him popularity with the people, all right? We, we didn't really care what was going on south of the border. As long, again, as long as they stayed on that side of the border, we didn't, it didn't matter to us. And so he man but he managed to win his reelection campaign in 1916 by promising to keep America out of the brouhaha that was going on over in Europe. And then of course once he was reelected he started going back on that word because he's a politician, it's literally what they do. Promise one thing until they get their way then immediately backpedal and <clears throat> do what they were going to do anyways because we the people never fucking learn. Just keep voting these dickheads in. I believe this is a stirred cocktail, not shaken. That cherry liqueur is really thick. Now, personally, I think he wanted a chance to enter the national stage as a peacemaker, much as Roosevelt did in 1905 with the Treaty of Portsmouth, which ended the Russo-Japanese War. That got Roosevelt a lot of international attention as someone who didn't just know war, as per his you know time as head of the Rough Riders during the Spanish-American War, but as someone who also knew peace and knew the value of both. And I personally think that's what Wilson was going for was that kind of dual reputation, right? The warrior who went over, went after Pancho Villa in Mexico, and then the peacekeeper who was able to negotiate the largest treaty between the warring nations in Europe. This is a stirred cocktail, hold on. It said stir vigorously, so I was very vigorous with my stirring. The problem is with Wilson's failed attempt at nation building in Mexico and his own preference for all things English. I mean, he was a known Anglophile. He also tended to think anybody who disagreed with him was wrong and therefore evil. It wasn't enough for Wilson to just offer to be the neutral negotiator between warring nations. He wanted to play with the big boys of England and France on a national stage. And what better way to prove to them that America was equal than to bail their butts out of a stalemated war? And yeah, the war was at a stalemate. Uh, Powell proved that definitively and admirably, frankly. Um, while the Allied powers definitely had more bodies to throw at the problem and better armaments, the Germans were not as careless with their people. They were also not as careless with their bullets. They knew that they were outmanned and outgunned, so they were a lot more careful with digging their trenches and keeping their people under cover of dirt, basically. And so they had fought the Allies to a standstill on two fronts, okay? Because Russia, with her strong ties to British royalty, had sought to use the war to expand their own ter territories into central power land. Into, into the central powers territory. Central power land. <laughs> okay. That's okay. It's got the whiskey burn. 
It's, it's kind of neutral in flavor, you know? I mean, it's it's not, no one thing really has the, the predominant flavor pro profile here, so that's, that's okay. However, Tsar Nicholas II, while enjoying the pomp and circumstance of military regalia, was not himself a military leader, and the family members he appointed to lead the Russian military were incompetent, basically, leading to many central power victories where Russia should have triumphed. And because of all this, the Tsar was actually ready to withdraw Russia from the war until Woodrow Wilson stopped it, stepped in and offered him some of those sweet American greenbacks to stay in the fight. Excuse me, goldbacks. They were technically goldbacks then. They were still backed by the gold standard at that point in time. And while the Tsar was deciding what to do, he was basically forced to abdicate by the provisional government. They were like, you are doing nothing but destroying us. You have actually lost territory, not gained us territory. We need you to step back. And, and he did. He was forced out. This happened several months before the October Revolution that resulted in his assassination along with his family. But didn't even phase Wilson and the American diplomatic corps. Uh, Elio Root was the, the, the former Secretary of State under Roosevelt. He was the diplomatic sending the offer on behalf of, the, of America, and he promised the provisional government the exact same funds, provided they stay in the fight. His fight was literally no fight, no loans. So if you want our money, if you want to keep our money to build up your own nation, you have to stay in the fight. All of this played very nicely into the hands of one Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, a.k.a. Vladimir Lenin, who knew the longer the provisional government was preoccupied with the war, the better his chance of agitating the people into Bolshevism was and just doing a straight takeover. And Wilson at first seemed to admire Lenin as kind of a go-getter. By the time he recognized how dangerous Lenin was, it was far too late. The catastrophe of socialism had taken firm root in the Soviet states, and he was well on his way to creating the murderous regime that would rule for the next 70 years. And of course, the provisional government did stay involved in the war long enough to force Germany into a disastrous armistice agreement. If Wilson had just kept his promise to the American people, the war would have resolved on its own. All right, that literally, that's like the nature of war, right? There's either a clear-cut winner or a clear-cut loser, or it fights to a draw and they just stop fighting. They, they come to their own peace terms because war really isn't good for anybody except for the armaments makers and the politicians who back it. Um... And make no mistake, despite his high ideals of making the world safe for democracy, there was nothing about American interventionism that achieved that goal. I mean, not with all of Europe still performing land grabs for colonization. There's nothing diplomatic about colonization. And Wilson knew that going into Versailles. And despite his 14 points, where he wanted to open covenants of peace, arrived at with no private diplomacy, the Treaty of Versailles was in fact entirely negotiated between England, France, Belgium, and the United States, with the results merely handed over to Germany under the expectation that they sign. Um, it, to nobody's surprise, the gentleman who did in fact sign the treaty, I believe, was assassinated in like 1923. And his belief that the colonial boundaries would be drawn, uh, Wilson's belief, excuse me, Wilson's belief that the colonial boundaries would be drawn based upon the will of the people in the colonies was patently absurd. Um, even at the Treaty of Versailles, it was obvious that this was bullshit because France and England proceeded to carve up North Africa and the Middle East to suit their own colonizing aims. So it was all based on a lie. It sounded good. It made a good press bite very heartily violated Henry Hazlitt's one rule of, of economics, right? The, 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 um, 
you know, you can't just consider the policy of the people right in front of you. You have to consider the policy and how it's going to affect all the people. Totally blatantly ignored, which set things up for massive failure and a second world war. Germany felt utterly betrayed in all of this, and, and rightly so. That They had entered the negotiations in good faith, and they were bent over the proverbial barrel without the benefit of any lubrication. And they had entered it expecting it was going to be an open and fair negotiation based on Wilson's 14 points. He brought them to the table and then helped to fuck them. Nice guy. As we all know, and has been basically just acknowledged by every historian in the interim, without Versailles, Hitler never would have happened. He never would have had the chance to rise to power. Powell points out that Hitler's rise was by no means a foregone collusion. The historical chips had to fall just so on the chessboard of life for Hitler to rise and take over the way he did. But Powell also points out that if America had stayed fully neutral and not involved ourselves, just kept out of it, maybe offering a conference table for the belligerents to meet at, but otherwise minding our own damn business, World War, World War I would not have ended in such a way that allowed Hitler to rise in the first place. And if he hadn't offered Russia money to stay in the war, it's fully possible the royal family would not have been forced to abdicate, or given how incompetent Nicholas was, the provisional government would have withdrawn well ahead of Lenin's ability to agitate and disrupt to the point of takeover, paving the way for a century of blood and death laid at the feet of communism. And held by this metric, it's quite easy to say that without Lenin and hence Stalin, communism would not have taken hold in China, as Stalin was the primary backer of Mao Zedong. And without Mao Zedong, we wouldn't have had Pol Pot and the Cambodian killing fields. So this ripple effect is literally felled globally from this one decision to enter World War I. Let's think about this. So in China, now he doesn't go into this in the book, but I'm just kind of speculating here. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek would have taken over, right? He was the, the primary pushback against the, the Chinese communists. And basically the only reason he won is that Mao had the backing of Stalin. So just speculating here. I mean, I haven't actually read much on Mao's opposition. I intend to, but I don't have any books on him and I'm not buying books except for the president books. Trying to be good about this. So he's going to have to wait till next year sometime. But anyways, my little understanding from what I've read from the, the Mao perspective is that I mean, Chiang Kai-shek was a warlord in his own right. And, and he essentially uh, installed a um, police state in Taiwan when the opposition, the, I don't, what are they called? Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I'm drawing a blank, but I'll, I'll find it and put it up here whoever Chiang Kai-shek is, uh, his party was. It's not the Falun Gong, that's a current thing, it's somebody else. Anyways, uh, would his policies have been as ultimately catastrophic for China as Mao's? I mean, we're never going to know for sure, will we? We can speculate to some degree, based on what happened in Taiwan following Chiang Kai-shek's withdrawal to that location, and it was a police state until like 1989, uh, when it moved into a full democracy, essentially. Would any of that have happened without the Chinese Civil War? I mean, who knows, right? That we don't necessarily have enough information on to extrapolate, because what happened did happen. Well, I don't know. I think we probably could extrapolate. Um, I need to know more on Chiang Kai-shek to actually comment on that, but I, I don't know. But based on Powell's thorough breakdown of the events that led up to World War II, I'm inclined to think it would not have been nearly as catastrophic for China. I, I think that the world would, well, the world inarguably would have been a better place without the, you know, 60 million dead in China. A cure for cancer is long since rotted in a mass grave, so thank you for that, Wilson. 
I mean, by any metric you wish to use, Wilson's entry into, of the United States onto the world stage has had catastrophic consequences globally and locally. 100 years later, we are still funneling money overseas to help nations that are not the United States to the profound detriment of U.S. citizens. As a direct result of Wilson's interference in picking sides of World War I, we had the rise of the two most murderous regimes in history. We had Hitler on one hand, communism on the other. And I have to lump all communist regimes together for brevity and due to the simple fact that all communism results in is mass starvation and democide. There has not been a single instance of successful communism. It is a failed political ideology. This book was a solid breakdown of why President Washington, when he stepped down as president back in 18 or 1796, yes, 1796, he cautioned his successors to avoid entangling alliances and to remain neutral on the world stage. And every president up to Wilson did exactly that, okay? When, when uh, Theodore Roosevelt, and again, I think he was a bit of an egotist, uh, he, when he offered Portsmouth, New Hampshire as a location for the Russo-Japanese to meet, he was offering it as a neutral, uninvolved party, right? He's like, here, go ahead and have your peace conference in, in America. Let me offer New Hampshire for you. Wilson's ignoring of that caution led to disaster and global catastrophe and millions and millions dead well ahead of their time. That's what happens when you get involved on a global scale like that. I mean, I can't say that I loved this book. It was well-written. It was an easy read-through, but it's a little depressing having the fact that America is not, in fact, always the hero kind of thrown in your face like that. I mean, I, I am aware we're not always right. I've read enough history books just on this channel. I have enough history books in my own library to say definitively that no, America has definitely gotten some things wrong, right? I mean, you can look back to Jackson and the Trail of Tears or the fact that as a free nation, we did allow slavery to flourish to know that America has made some very severe blunders, historically speaking. But prior to this, the blunders only affected America as a nation. It didn't embroil the entire fucking planet in blood and warfare for a full century after the fact. Fortunately, in the very last pages of the book, Powell does provide some guidance on how we might roll back some of the damage that America has done and hopefully start minding our own fucking business again. Uh, first off, defend America. Like, that's it. That's, that's the one thing the Constitution allows, is for our military to defend our own borders. We have no business maintaining military bases globally, staffing them globally, sending people over to global locations. That is not our concern, right? This is our concern right here. The borders of the United States, that's our concern. Everything else is none of our damn business. Point two, stay out of people's wars, other people's wars. Why are we sending our men and women overseas to fight and die in other countries? Um, don't try to build other people's nations. Like, literally, this one thing would save America so much heartache. Countries will choose democracy or not on their own. If nothing else, the catastrophic fall of Kabul in 2021 outlines what happens when America tries to nation-build. My heart still aches for those people who are left behind in the wake of our promises for freedom and democracy. Because we overpromised and underdelivered, and that's exactly backwards. Uh, it's not our place to deliver. It's their place to fight for it and claim it.
be open to the world. That's step four. We can open our borders to all but terrorists and known criminals and be a better nation for it. Powell even briefly takes a dig at the welfare state, pointing out that by, that by denying immigrants access to welfare, we're setting them up for better success in life than the welfare queens who live on government handouts. Um, his last paragraph truly sums up why it is so important that America returns to our non-interventionist roots. Direct quote, America cannot save the world by fighting endless wars, but we can set an example. We must protect a flourishing free society that others are welcome to join or to emulate in their own lands, end quote. And I agree, Mr. Powell, but how do we convince Washington that you're right? Because they're the idiots who keep sending us to these wars and sending our money overseas and sending our sons and daughters to die in foreign lands. That's it for this week. Don't forget to subscribe. I will see you guys next week, but it might be a day or two late. Um, next week, I'm starting the tarot of my kitchen that I mentioned a few weeks ago and when the Mind Hacking Happiness book. That starts next Saturday. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to post on Sunday. It might not be till Monday or Tuesday. But I will get something out s somewhere around like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday next week. Bye.